Let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. He is considered one of America's leading commentators on entertainment. He served seven years as youth culture specialist with Dr. James Dobson and Focus on the Family. He now is working with Entertainment Today and provides teens, college students, parents, educators, and youth workers with the tools to think critically about the voices of pop culture, including music, movies, the internet, advertising, and television. Would you help me welcome Mr. Bob DeMoss? Good morning. Last night I flew in from Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, yes, I drive a pick-em-up truck. Um, shit, rats, no, I just got a dog, too. <laughs> um, no, actually, I'm from Philadelphia normally in life, but uh, we live in Nashville, and I did get seduced into buying a pickup truck, and my wife just bought a dog. I hate country music, and I, I'm living it. You know, it's awful. <laughs> but I mean, everybody in Nashville's, and I'd rather have a stick in my eye than listen to country music. You know what I mean? No, it sure beats rap music, but anyway. Uh, country music, capital, Christian music, capital, Nashville, Tennessee, it's a great place to raise a family. Uh, it's a great place to, um, to travel around and, and have an opportunity and privilege to speak to students around the country. And uh, eight weeks ago, I was in a hospital having my left hip replaced. That's where they go in there and they get a chainsaw um, and they do a Freddy Krueger on your hip and they cut out all the bone and then they ram a little metal thing in there. And now when I go through security at airports, I set off all these things and I gotta pull out a special card that say it's heavy metal in my leg and don't arrest me. So um, this is the first time I'm doing a session with a new hip. So if I look a little wobbly or limp or something, that's what's going on. However, I am no stranger to the medical world in that I have also had an experience um, an extended stay in a hospital because of a decision I made while playing racquetball that uh, almost took my eye out. Now, if you've played racquetball, does anybody here play racquetball? All right. Is there a court, a racquetball court? On campus? Man, I should have gone to this school. This is great. Racquetball, for those of you who are unenlightened, uninformed, and have never been on the most awesome game on the planet, racquetball is a high-speed game where you're dodging something that goes about 150 miles an hour. It's this size with your name on it. <laughs> and when you play the game, there are two rules. Well, they're not really rules. They're suggestions. A, wear goggles. B, don't look back. Okay. Now, for 10 years, I had been playing racquetball, and I'm sort of an A minus B plus league player. I mean, I'm not like the old, old guys who can just stand there and go, and the ball just floats across the floor about an inch off the ground, boom, you know, and there's no way to return it. I'm not that good, but I was pretty good, and I never wore goggles. Why? Because they were too confining. They steam up, and, you know, they sweat. You're always doing this on your wet shirt, and it's just a mess. So I would never wear goggles. This particular day, uh, I, I went to the Colorado Springs YMCA and there was a, a door about this high for the racquetball court. You, know, you have to duck to get in. And that's because right here is a sign that says, it is highly recommended that you wear protective eye gear. Yeah, right. So I ignore the good advice. I get on the court. I'm standing against this wall 
I make a serve to the front wall to my partner back here who's in the opposite right-hand corner. Now, I won't mention his name, Jerry Price, but um, Jerry is a, uh, a weightlifter. His arms, his upper body is like a tree stump. The guy is huge. He's massive. Now, a good shot for Jerry would be to hit the front wall. That's his objective. I have given him a 20-foot alley in which to hit the front wall. I'm thinking it's pretty safe to then do the second thing you're not supposed to do, which is I served and then I look back. Right at that point, Jerry, the bonehead, hits the ball directly off his racket, slams me right in my right eye. Not a ricochet, not a, you know, like a chip shot or something. Right off the sweet spot on the racket, bam! Now my eye, of course, naturally, if this has never happened to you, I'm not talking the side, the ear, the head, right pop in the pocket. The eye swells up to like, a, you know, a huge, you know, melon or something. And I was wearing contacts that day. And um, so my contact lens squeezes out of my eyelid, right? And Jerry doesn't know I'm wearing contacts. So he says, Bob, is your eye falling out of your head? <laughs> well, it sure feels like it, thanks to you, pal. Get me to the doctor. So I go to the doctor. So I'm not the doctor. And what does he do? He gets this huge spotlight, aims it in my face and says, what do you see? Well, naturally, I want to say, duh, a bright light. But see, he said, cover your, your left eye, your good eye, cover that, and tell me what you see. So I'm looking, and I'm saying, is the light on? Yes, it's on. Uh, is my eye open? You know, because it's really numb. He said, oh, yeah, your eye's wide open. And I'm looking, and I am not seeing a thing. All of a sudden, I'm feeling, my, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I'm, I'm blind. I'm blind in my right eye. I will never see again out of my right eye. Because I ignore some good advice. How stupid, the moss. Well, thankfully, as it turns out, I didn't dislodge the retina. A torn retina in the back part of your eye is really a bad thing to like mess with. Um, however, as the blood receded from my eye and I was able to start to see again, I did discover I can see, but there's some permanent damage for the choice I made. The damage is this. Your eye, the nerve in your eye has a sphincter muscle. It is different than other sphincter devices on your body. The sphincter muscle in your eye does what? When you're in a dark room and your eyes are like this and then you go out into a bright place, they go down like this, right? They dilate and then you go in the reverse, you're outside, you go inside like this. Well, my left eye understands that process. My right eye, I walk outside, my left eye goes like this because it's bright. My right eye is sitting here <laughs> and my head is saying, what's the exposure, okay? Because I can't process two different brightness levels. And then it finally makes its way down and then I go over here to the cafeteria and then and then this one's <laughs> now I'm in the hospital lying there for a period of time wondering if I'll ever see again and uh, and I'm thinking of a verse of scripture that you may be familiar with I want you to uh, read this together with me if you would the eye is the lamp of the body that's your cue the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, 
how great is this darkness, is that darkness? Matthew 6, 23 and 24 was not just a cute verse anymore. I'm living it. I'm saying, my goodness, on a physical level, if you don't wear goggles, you can be blind. Well, now all of a sudden I'm beginning to understand these words. Oh, on a spiritual level, there are things lined up to cause me spiritual blindness. Things in my culture, things in my world that, that target me. I've got this uh, bullseye painted on my body. If I'm a Christian, as I am, if I'm a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have a target painted on you. And that target is just, against that target, the culture throws 24 hours a day messages that bombard you and me with things that can cause spiritual blindness. Not just the physical, but the spiritual. So I'm processing all this information. And uh, in fact, I came across another scripture that was an uh, eye-opener. Uh, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The, uh, King Solomon wrote that passage. Above all else, guard your heart. What's really weird about that statement? These two verses work together. What's weird about this statement? Solomon, what do we know about him? He was one of the wealthiest men on the planet, right? And he doesn't say, I mean, I would expect him to say, above all else, guard your 401k. Guard your purse. Guard your wallet. Be careful with your financial structure. Have your portfolio laid out a certain way. But he doesn't say that. He says, guard your heart. There's nothing more important than guarding your heart. Those are those spiritual uh, goggles. Because out of your heart comes the wellspring of life. And just like in the Matthew passage, if that wellspring is polluted water, what happens? Our lives are filled with pollution. So I'm listening, I'm, I'm putting all this together. I'm beginning to understand that my goal is, as a Christian, my goal is to be discerning. I need to learn how to discern. I need to learn when my culture is in my face, how to think critically so I don't get brainwashed and therefore have spiritual blindness. Now I need to tell you this. After I went to work, I was working at Focus on the Family at the time in Colorado. My boss, Chuck Bolte, some of you were raised on Adventures in Odyssey. Chuck was the brainchild of that. And Chuck the man tells me in his style of always having something funnier than everybody else in the room, Chuck says, that's nothing. I knew this roofer. This roofer had a nail gun. And he was nailing, and it stuck. Because I'm telling him about my eye and the racquetball in the eye. So he comes up with this story. He says, this roofer takes the nail gun, and he does what you're not supposed to do. The manufacturer says, never point a nail gun at your face. But see, he's working on a hot roof. He wants to get the job done. The nail is stuck. So what does he do? He wants to see what's happening, and then all of a sudden, phew, a nail goes in his eye. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever step on a nail on a board, do you stand there and think, well, oh, we got a situation here. <laughs> well, look at that. Got a nail in that foot right there. Hmm. If you step on it, what's your immediate reaction? Pain sensors go off, alarm, you pull. Okay, well, same thing with the eye. Nail and eye, he doesn't say, we go to the mirror here and, uh, yeah, there's a nail, look at that. Would you see that thing? 
ah, you know, everybody pierces everything. I got a pierced eye, okay? Let's, let's, you know, I'll show those guys with the ear thing and all that stuff and the nose and everything else. He grabs the nail on impulse and pulls it out with the eye on the nail. Nice little eye. So, so here he is with his eye. I don't know if they put it in a baggie or what they did, but goes to the hospital. One baggie on ice, you know. And um, they stick it back in his head. They tape him up and they lie him face down and tell him he cannot move for six months. I don't want to understand how I, I don't want to go like, how did he go to the bathroom and stuff? I don't want to go into all those details. But here he is, face down, bandaged up. And do you realize six months later, when they removed that, he could see? I mean, God makes us in such incredible ways that our body was a- able to heal and mend itself. I can have a hip replaced. I mean, there's wild stuff going on. But then I have to ask the question, You could have avoided a half a year on your face if you took advantage of the advice, don't aim it, you know, in your face. You know what I mean? It's like choices have consequences. You choose to ignore the good advice. All right, there might be some remedy down the road, but you could have avoided a lot of hassles, like drinking all of your meals through a straw or something. Who knows how he ate. The reason why I said it again to you is that this morning, in the brief time we have together, I am convinced that our country is overrun by, what's the best word? I don't want to overuse the word terrorist, cultural terrorists, but we live in a culture of darkness dominated by men and women over there in Hollyweird who really care less about the consequences of the stuff that they are creating for us to consume, for our kids to consume. I have a 15-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 1-year-old. And as a father, not just as a public speaker who travels around the country and around the world, but as a dad, I am deeply concerned about what my young kids are going to see and hear and put into their brain. I don't want them to be spiritually neutralized. I want them to be discerning. I want them to understand how they're being manipulated by the culture. I want them to know what they believe, why they believe it. And when they see something that falls out of line with it, that they say, I choose not to go there. Let me give you a few examples of what I mean by the the culture of darkness and the manipulation that's taking place. And we're going to jump into this tonight at the seminar, 7 o'clock, 7 to 9 at the Globe. Let me just look at advertising for a second. This is a full-page ad for Grand Passion Liquor, I think. The reason why I say I think is because, as you may notice, the bottle right here on the right lower-hand corner is out of the picture. Now, for those of you in business and marketing, let's say you become the big cheese at Frito-Lay or at some other company one day, and and you write a check for $60,000 for a full-page ad. Do you think it would make sense to have your product somewhere featured on the page? Would that be like a logical thing? You want people to remember your product. They ought to know what it looks like. Well, Grand Passion has the bottle. You don't even have the label in the picture. And what does it say? It says, in life, 
There are many loves, but only one grand passion. Now, what are they really saying? In life, there are all kinds of liquor, and ours is the best. Now, I know you may be saying, Bob, we're Wesleyan. Uh, whiskey is not like on our agenda. We don't know a lot about whiskey sales. Uh, we drink NyQuil, and that's about as rough as it gets. <laughs> hey, I got a cold. Oh, praise the Lord for my cold. NyQuil. <laughs> the Wesleyan whiskey is NyQuil, right? Now, if you don't understand whether or not they are the best liquor or not is immaterial. They've set up a parallel track. What's center stage? What do you see? Two women, intimate stance to the right. Oh, what happened to the thing? I guess I bumped the deal. To the right of the bottle is a travel bag. To the left of this lady is a bed. What you have is a lesbian sexual encounter in a hotel. They are saying in life there are all kinds of love, but only one grand passion. They are saying in life there's all kinds of ways to express yourself sexually. There's lesbian sex, there's homosexuality, there's group sex. Look at Calvin Klein. There are all these different things. And then there's Madonna. Madonna being the first trisexual. Try a little this, try a little that. Okay. But that's what our culture... That is what our culture says to you and to me. Now, I understand a little bit about sex, not because I'm married. I understand it because I was unmarried for 37 years. And I was, by God's grace, a virgin when I got married. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm not Superman. My hormones would say to me on a regular basis, Bob, unless we see some action soon, we're going to another host body. You know, I mean... I understand what it means to live in an oversexed culture. And then when you become married, you think it all of a sudden stops? You think all of a sudden, all of your, your thoughts, your, the way in which you see some babarama go walking by, and oh, there's a righteous fox meter pegged. <laughs> You know, on the college campus, the guys are checking out the babes, you know, and, and vice versa, get your MRS and all that stuff. I understand that. What are you in college for? My MRS. 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 Never mind. Anyway, the point is, I understand how the images today on television, do not forget about the advertising, but on television, spy TV, you look at the, the uh, uh, even The Bachelor, the kinds of things that are, are thrown in our face, even take friends, people swapping and sleeping around. That says what to you and me? It's okay. It's enjoyable. It's acceptable. It's pretty darn cool. It looks like a whole lot of fun. Nobody ever gets a sexually transmitted disease. Nobody has a broken heart. Nobody ever goes to jail. Nobody, I mean, it's, everything is, there's no consequences. We're going to look at some of that stuff tonight. I don't have time to jump into that this morning. I want to show you one clip. Uh, when I talk about the culture of darkness competing for our affections. And the reason why I picked this one is because headlines USA Today cover story today. You have the whole shooter situation going on in uh, the Washington, D.C., Baltimore suburb area. Guy takes out eight people, six dead, two wounded, 13-year-old kid in a hospital right now. Some of you have 13-year-old brothers. You understand what I'm talking about. 
to feel I may lose my brother because some, some person's out there with a rifle taking pot shots at people and thinking it's a blast. They're doing it for fun as best we can hear and tell by the FBI. As far as we know, the guy's just doing it for fun. So the question is, as I see that in the paper, I think to myself, what was another fairly recent, I think we're talking two years only ago, situation where somebody showed up at school and picked off people for fun? What's the name of the school? Columbine. Okay, and what were the name of the two shooters? Have we forgotten already? Eric and Dylan. Eric and Dylan, who are who were big fans of the movie The Basketball Diaries. Just as in the movie, which they watched over and over and over, they see Leonardo DiCaprio wearing a long black trench coat and walk into school and pick off some students. They one day put on the long, the long dress uh, trench coat, go into school and start picking off people, making a name for themselves. I'm gonna show you 60 seconds from Basketball Diaries. The reason why I want to do this is we're in an educational environment, are we not? Should we start to understand when I stand up here and say our culture is out of control? That maybe garbage in is fueling garbage out? Maybe if I as a believer embrace stuff that is toxic, it'll cause spiritual blindness in my life and take me out of the game? Do you realize that when Firestone had some problems with their tires, I think like 60 tires, or at the time maybe 30 or 40 tires had caused some deaths and some rollovers and some injury, that they were forced to reclaim six million or more tires, product liability. Do you realize that when 20, 30, 40 kids are dead because somebody finds a media device enticing and it validates their ideas, there's no reclaim, no recall, no lawsuits, no accountability. Is that right? Should there possibly be a consequence in our society? And I'm not saying, I'm not answering the question. I'm just saying, you, I want you to wrestle with this. When somebody creates something that is intentionally, I'm not saying somebody is a flake, okay, and they get a, you know, like that idea about whatever, they read a book and then they decide to go do something stupid. I'm saying when it's an intentionally willful added, I mean, this, was, this film was made based on a novel, but the novel did not have this dream sequence in it. Some guy in Hollywood with a cigar in his mouth said, hey, hey, I got this great idea for this thing. What we can do is this. We'll have him be so pushed that we'll have him uh, go to school and blow away a bunch of people. Somebody came up with that idea. Should they be held accountable? Furthermore, what about, uh, we don't have time to go into all this right now, but the, the slasher film industry we'll look at tonight. Go to Blockbuster, anywhere in America, six to 700 slasher titles in Blockbuster. Let me ask, how many of you have seen, be honest, the movie Scream? How many of you have seen Scream? Okay, how many of you have seen Friday the 13th? Okay. How many of you have seen uh, Blair Witch Project? Okay. So, here's what the actor Robert Englund says about his making of slasher films. He says, well, we keep going back to the Freudian 
mother of it all, Ted Bundy sort of thing a lot in this one. Well, I just read an article on Ted Bundy, so a lot of my imagery is based on him. Who was Ted Bundy? Real life mass murderer. So I get it. The, uh, Robert Englund, study, who plays Freddy Krueger, studies the real thing, gets ideas, puts it in videos that 60 or 80% of Wesleyan students are watching. Or in my surveys, 90% of 4th, 5th, and 6th graders in Christian schools are watching. Is there something wrong with that picture? Is it possible that some of this stuff, some of the things we're listening to, is causing spiritual darkness? The reason why I, I want to camp here for just a minute is this. I, and you'll hear me wrong if you think I'm saying never go to a movie, never watch a video, never listen to music, never uh, you know, have any fun, go be a monk somewhere and, you know, and just, oh. I am not saying that. I'm saying that we need to be discerning about. And that means making wise choices based on a standard. Let me give you an example in Scripture of somebody who kind of missed the memo on this deal. His name is Samson. Samson was so busy flirting with Delilah, much like we are today, we're so busy flirting with the Delilah of our culture that in his case, he was neutralized. In our case, we can be spiritually neutralized and taken out of the game. Here's what happens. Certain man of Zorah, this is from uh, Judges chapter 13, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. An angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you're going to now conceive and have a son. Time out. Big news. You're going to have a boy. How often do you think that happens in Scripture? Is that like every day somebody shows up? Hey, Adam and Eve, you're going to have a son. How often do you think that happens? Can you name one other time when an angel showed up and said you're going to have a kid? Abraham. Abraham. Jesus, an angel appeared to Mary. How about to Elizabeth? It's like six times, okay? In all these pages, only six times does an angel show up and say, here's the deal. You're going to have a kid. Here's the call on his life. God wants to do great things with Samson. And in fact, the angel shows up twice. So what, what is our superhero who was supposed to rescue the Israelites doing uh, a little bit later? One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went to spend in the night with her. Um, that was not for a Bible study or, you know, counseling on, uh, you know job employment outside of the red light district or something. He goes into a hooker because he is lost already. We begin to see him taking for granted the calling on his life. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman of the Valley of Sork, whose name was Delilah. So we know the story of Delilah a little bit. She's this Cosmo babe from the Philistines, the sworn enemy of Israel, the very people that Samson was, two angels, this is your job, get rid of these people. He's over there playing footsies with Delilah. Delilah says, noticing, it's hard to notice he is a very muscular, strong man. She says to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. 
So he makes this up this little fairy tale about, well, you put this on me. So she does it while he's sleeping. Samson, the Philistines are on you. Bam, snap, no problem. And then he beats them all up and they run away. Now what does she say to him? You have made a fool of me. You have lied to me. Come now and tell me how you can be tied. Memo to single guys. <laughs> if on your first date she wants to kill you, not the basis for a good relationship. Samson's missing it here. So then what happens? He does it a second time, and then a third time. And Delilah is getting frustrated. She says, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength with such nagging. Women, you have the nagging gene. It is one of the curses of the fall. Fight it. She says, with I mean, the Bible says, with such nagging, <laughs> she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. <laughs> Samson could handle 3,000 people with the jawbone of an ass. I can say that. <laughs> but one nagging woman, okay, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you everything. And he breaks down and tells her. Then he goes to sleep. Okay, Buzzomatic. She wakes up and and he says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up and thinks, Oh, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Now listen to this. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You talk about arrogance. You talk about a person who says, I can do whatever I want to, I can handle this. Isn't that though exactly what we say? Oh, Bob, I can handle this. I can listen to Dr. Dre. I can listen to Eminem. I can listen to my dead man Tupac who's coming back for a third time, a third mass attack from the grave, my man. I can listen to all this stuff and it won't affect me. I can watch Freddy Krueger, Texas Chainsaw, or whoever it is, cut up into small pieces or scream with 12 decapitations and laugh at scary movie and think it doesn't influence me. How different is that from Samson saying, I can handle it? At what point does God's spirit say, you know, I had big plans for you. I would really like to use you to radically change your world. My goodness, I sent two angels, and there you are in bed with a hooker. I mean, he lost, I mean, they gouged out his eyes, first thing, right? Two hot red pokers right in the eye. But you know what? He had lost his vision a long time before they did that. Same thing can happen to us today, friends. And the reason why I'm sharing all this is all around you and me, there are people who are hungry to know what you and I have. But we're so busy flirting with the Delilah of our culture where we're not being discerning that we can be spiritually neutralized and taken out of the game. You hear, it's like shake that Shakespeare line, sometimes thou doth protest too much. You'll never make a saint out of me. And then over here, though, he's saying, I don't want to die out here in the cold. 
See, all around us, there are people in our culture who are longing for what you and I have. And by God's grace, your time here at Indiana Wesleyan University, you are preparing yourselves to be the best that you could possibly be to respond to a dark culture. However, if internet pornography, if the choice of films, if you're laughing at faces of death or at the kinds of things that grieve the heart of God, if you're filling your brain with the saucy novels and other kinds of things, the just romance, the steamy stuff, the, as the stomach turns on television, you know, whatever it is, I can assure you that one day you will find yourself, if not even already, starting to find yourself spiritually neutralized, ineffective, unable to be used by God to change the world. I don't want to park in that place. I don't know about you. That is not where I want to be. I want to be used of him. Like, for example, and I'll just give you a quick ad, and I'll pray and, and let you go here. But the Lord recently gave me this wonderful opportunity to write a series of novels with Tim LaHaye. You might know that name from Left Behind. The first book, The Mind Siege Project, All the Rave, and The Last Dance are all right down here. It's a, it's a, it's a sequential, it's not a sequential novel, but there are the same characters and all. They're thrillers. You buy one, I guarantee you, you will not sleep for a week. In any case, they all have incredible points to them about the culture, about the drug ecstasy culture and all the rave, about the internet and so on on uh, The Last Dance. Buy any one of these books and learn to discern, which is what tonight's program is about. Buy any one of the books for 10 or any three for 20, a blue light special. They are down here after the morning. I would love to make those available. That's lighting the candle, saying I want to impact the culture. I want to be used of God in whatever field you are in. Let's pray, and then oh, let's get on with the day. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these young men and women. Lord, I pray for each and, single, each and every single one of them, that they would love what you love and hate the things that you hate. That there would be a wave of repentance in our heart, a wave of revival that says we want to be different. We're tired of business as usual. We want to shake the ball and chain around our, our ankles that hinders us from being used of you to change our world. I pray for a greater sense of personal holiness, Lord. Use us this day, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.